If you're enjoying Bradbury 100, please check out my other podcast, Science Fiction 101, in which we explore the past, present and future of science fiction. Find it at 101sf.blogspot.com and head over to YouTube to find my Bradbury 101 series, in which I look at Ray's books and movies. This is Bradbury 100, celebrating the centenary year of American writer Ray Bradbury. I'm Phil Nichols of bradburymedia.co.uk. Each week on the podcast, we look at some aspect of Bradbury's life and work and interview someone who is inspired by Ray. Hello again. This episode is going out on the 21st of August, 2021. And that's one day before Ray Bradbury's 101st birthday. That means we've come to the end of the Bradbury centenary year. And of course, the centenary year is the very reason for having this podcast in the first place. Now, to mark the end of the year and to celebrate, I'm going to be doing Bradbury 100 live. Now, I did this first back in September of last year, shortly after this podcast series began, and I thought I'd do it once more to kind of close the year out. So on this very day, the 21st of August 2021, you'll be able to hear Bradbury 100 live. Join in the discussion if you wish. Watch it on Facebook. There'll be a link on my website, bradburymedia.co.uk, that will take you there. Now, what if you've downloaded this podcast and listened to it and the 21st of August has already happened? What are you going to do? Well, don't worry. I'll record the whole of the live show and I'll make it available through my website. So bradburymedia.co.uk is always going to be the place to be either to find the live version or the recorded version after the event. Now, because I'm doing the live show... This episode of the podcast is going to be a little bit shorter than usual. What I thought I'd do to round out the year is really turn the tables on myself or turn the microphone on myself. So instead of interviewing a guest today, I'm going to be reminiscing about my experiences of meeting Ray, studying his work, how I first got interested in Bradbury in the first place. Now, you may have heard some bits of these anecdotes in the past, because when I've interviewed guests, I've interjected with my own recollections and reminiscences. But this will be the first time that I've told the whole story. So sit back and relax and listen to my rambling stream of consciousness, although I do promise you I have edited this, so all the boring stuff has been taken out. Or I think so, anyway. So here we go with me and Ray... Back in the day. It occurred to me that I never really gave my full story of my connection with Bradbury. So I thought I'd use this opportunity to do that. I have spoken in the past about how I first discovered Bradbury, which was through the book The Golden Apples of the Sun, and how I later discovered other Bradbury works and got interested in him as an author and in in his authorship. 
But there came a point in the early 2000s where I decided to take my interest in Bradbury a step or two further. And the first step was the creation of my website to act as a kind of repository of all the information that I'd accumulated on Bradbury over the years and somewhere where I could post reviews of uh, films and TV shows and that sort of thing. From about 2006 onwards, I started giving presentations at conferences in California, New York, uh, France, Belgium, and the UK as well, of course. Now, the main output of my research has been a bunch of academic papers, most of which are out there. You can Google me and you'll find those papers out there. One thing you won't find out there is my PhD thesis, which is not publicly available at present. I've got a couple of these bound copies, which are just private copies, and it's on deposit with the University of Liverpool, which is where I did my PhD. But I quoted in my thesis extensively from a number of unpublished works, and that means that I can't publish the thesis in its original form, or at least I can't, not without paying for permission to publish those previously unpublished materials. One chapter from this thesis has been published, and that's the chapter on Fahrenheit 451, and that was published in the new Ray Bradbury Review, issue number five. A question I often get asked is, how well did you know Ray Bradbury? Well, I met him maybe on half a dozen occasions. The first time was at a conference, and I was there just to deliver a paper, one of maybe a hundred academics who were delivering papers, not to Ray, but to an academic audience, and at a certain point in the conference, Ray would come in, give a speech, and then we'd all applaud, and we would all go home. The thing that surprised me about that event is that Ray's speech was open to the public. And this was at University of California, Riverside. And we had the conference in this fairly large conference room. All of the academics sat in chairs and a stage for the people doing the presentations and speaking. Ray comes in, sits down on the stage where I had sat earlier that day. And then I suddenly realise that the wall at the back of the room behind all the academics had opened. I hadn't seen it open, but I turned round and saw that the wall was no longer there. And bizarrely, the room was now three times bigger than it was, and there were about 200 members of the public there. And they'd all come just to see Ray Bradbury. And it was quite an amazing sight, really. So I got to witness Bradbury giving one of his talks and answering questions and signing autographs. And the queue for autographs went around the room, all the way around. And there came a point where time was running out. Ray was getting fatigued and he asked one of his helpers to kill the line. I don't know if that's the actual phrase he used, but that's what that's how I remembered it being. And there was a kind of a green room where Ray was to be taken after the speech and he was going to meet the all the important people. Now, nobody ever told me that there was going to be anything in that green room. Nobody invited me to it, but I saw a number of other academics head for the green room and I thought, well, I'm going to go as well. So I went in. Nobody challenged me. Nobody pushed me out. Um, and I was able to be there. Fortunately, some of the higher-ups remembered me from my talk that I'd given earlier that day. So one of them actually introduced me to Ray, although I had met him earlier in the day. So I had a couple of conversations with Ray that day. 
talking to Ray was always rather difficult at this stage of his life. He would have been, when I first met him, he would have been, I think, about 88 years old. And he had more or less lost the hearing in one ear. And his eyesight was very poor as well. So it was difficult to be understood when talking to him. If you were in a quiet room, it was much easier. But if you were in a crowded room, a noisy room, it was very difficult for him to hear what you were saying. So I had a couple of conversations. I think I was understood, but they weren't terribly deep and they weren't terribly long. But it was nice to spend some time in his presence. We were able to talk for a few brief minutes about Leviathan 99, which is a... Well, now it's a novella. It came out a number of years ago. But uh, at the time of this conference, Leviathan 99 existed only as a radio play that had been broadcast by the BBC in the 1960s and as a stage play that was performed occasionally. But it had never been published in print at this point. But because I knew the BBC play, I'd written some articles about Ray's work on the BBC, including... Uh, Leviathan 99. I was able to talk to him briefly about that and about his friend Christopher Lee, who had starred in the BBC production. In fact, he asked me to give greetings to Christopher Lee when I got back to England. And I didn't have the heart to tell him that I don't know Christopher Lee. I've never met him. (laughs) He's a total stranger to me. Along with hundreds of other people, I went to Ray's public 90th birthday party, which was held in a bookshop in Glendale, California. As I say, hundreds of people were there. The bookshop was absolutely crowded. There was a line of people that snaked all through the bookcases, all around the shop, and uh, people queued up to get autographs from Ray. Now, I've never been an autograph hunter, so I didn't particularly bother to do that. But there were other people, Bradbury fans, friends and colleagues, who wanted to get more books signed than they were allotted. In other words, if you went up to Ray to get a signature, I think they allowed you to have two signings and then you had to go because the queue would be held back. So (laughs) because I wasn't getting anything signed, I volunteered to take some books for other people and get them signed. So, And recently, as I was going through some files on my computer, I actually found a video recording of me doing that, and I'd totally forgotten that that had been filmed. Now, that particular meeting in the bookshop, I don't think he knew who the hell I was. Um, He probably didn't hear a word I said to him. There was a PA system going on, there were people delivering speeches about Ray, so I don't think he heard a word of what I said to him on that occasion, but he very graciously signed the books, which I then took away and then passed them over to the person that they actually belonged to. Around that same time, I had the privilege of visiting Ray's house for the first time, so I was able to see some of the sort of immediate living space that he had, the the area that was known as the, the den, and there was a kind of a sitting room next to that. So I saw some of the sort of artefacts and awards that were dotted around the place. One thing I do remember talking to Ray about was a film that I'd seen, which is a film made by Jean Renoir, who I knew was a friend of Bradbury. And the film was called This Land is Mine. And it was made during the Second World War, and it stars Charles Lawton. And the thing that intrigued me about that film 
is there is a scene in the film where books are censored. The film's set in an unnamed country during World War II, which has been occupied by the Nazis. And with the Nazi takeover, the teachers in the schools have to censor the textbooks. So there are scenes of them sitting there with an entire class and they would go through and they would say, page 12, tear it out. And the teacher would tear the page out and all the children in the class would tear the same page out of the book. And that kind of book burning, it's not literal burning, but that kind of book burning struck me as being very akin to Fahrenheit 451. And so I was intrigued to see whether Ray remembered that scene or remembered that film. So I spoke to him about the film and I told him about the scene and um, he said something like, well, I'll be damned. And I tried to get him to remember the film because I'm sure he would have seen it because he always claimed that he'd seen every film ever made. Now, that wouldn't have been true later in his in his life, but in his earlier days, you know, back in the 1940s, he was a, an avid film buff and he would have seen every film. And he certainly would have seen every film with Charles Lawton because Lawton was one of his heroes in film. Um so I described the film and he tried to recall the film and he couldn't quite place it uh, from my description of it. So we weren't able to establish whether he had seen that actual film and whether he had seen that actual scene. But I think there's a good chance that he had. And uh, I'm not saying that the scene in the film influenced what became Fahrenheit 451, but it would nevertheless have chimed with his interests in you know, preserving the integrity of texts and his opposition to censorship and that kind of thing. So that was one of those occasions where I was hoping to get some information that I could then use in an article somewhere and make this big revelation about where Ray got his ideas. But I didn't get that, unfortunately. The last sort of direct contact I had with him was when I put forward a book proposal, uh, which I asked uh, other people to run past Ray just to see if we could get his kind of moral support on the proposal. And uh, I did get that support, but I was not able at the time to proceed with that particular book proposal. I may return to it one day, and I'm not going to say what the details of it were, because, well, I don't want anyone else to nick the idea and run with it. But there is there is another book project that I have on, sort of in the back of my mind to return to one day. So I don't really have many stories of long, deep conversations with Ray Bradbury, and there are many, many people in the world who have spent far more time with him than I ever did. I just had a handful of conversations on a few occasions if anything, I wish I had been able to meet Ray at an earlier point in his career. Back in the 1980s, I think, he was possibly at his absolute peak as a kind of public speaker, a speech maker, and even as a performer. There was a BBC documentary made in the early 80s called uh, Ray Bradbury, The Illustrated Man, and he got to act out scenes from some of his stories. He really went into these performances in a very serious way. And the results are, are quite good. You know, for somebody who is a, a non-actor, he actually is 
not bad. That's when he was at the peak of his powers, the peak of his ability to present himself publicly. And uh, that is the Bradbury I would have liked to have met. So that's me and Ray back in the day. That's probably used up all of my Bradbury anecdotes at this point, but I hope that was of interest to you. Of course, at this point in the show, I usually say thank you once again to my guest, but it seems a bit silly saying thank you to myself, so I won't do that, but I will thank you for listening today. I hope you get a chance to see Bradbury 100 live, and I'll make sure that there are some links on my webpage, bradburymedia.co.uk, to some of the items that I've spoken about today. And so we come to the end of the Bradbury centenary year. It's been one hell of a century, and when I look back over all the discussions I've had with all the guests on the show, all the feedback I've had from listeners, all the comments I've received on my blog, and also on my YouTube channel, Bradbury 101, I realise that when Bradbury used to say, live forever, well, he was onto something. He may be physically gone, but we're going to be reading his stories, watching films based on his works, listening to performances of his work for many, many years to come. I hope you've enjoyed listening to these episodes over the past year. And I'm not going to give up this podcasting business. I will be back with future episodes. So keep your subscription active and I'll see you again soon. Thanks for listening and bye for now. Bradbury 100 is presented and produced by Phil Nichols. Music is provided by Purple Planet at purpleplanet.com. Please subscribe using your podcast app. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, SoundCloud and all good podcast places. And you can find us on YouTube and Facebook too. For more information, head to bradburymedia.co.uk. UK. Don't forget to check out my other podcast, Science Fiction 101, at 101sf.blogspot.com and head over to YouTube to find my Bradbury 101 series, in which I look at Ray's books and movies.